handle the truth. Bingo! You are now listening to the facts. everybody and happy new year welcome back to straight facts the sports show that educates and entertains i am your host james jackson not jewel schmitz who is out due to sickness please feel better jewel we miss you but joining me my main man's jit galley and of course the man behind the numbers stat matt robinson let's get going this past week in sports the lakers have offered forward anthony davis a max contract which reported yesterday that he declined so he can go into free agency this summer you got more money that yeah, way it makes sense. i might get more money and if things go south uh later in the year, he keeps his options. He keeps his options, so he's playing the field. He's smart. Tom Brady announces that he won't be retiring from the NFL, but does that mean he's going back to the Patriots? Right. Well, we'll touch on that in speaking facts a little bit. The fact that he may or may not have more things to prove. We'll see. I think he'll be a Patriot. There's no way he was ending his career on a pick six. There's no way. I don't think he's ending his career on anybody else but the Patriots. Blake Griffin and the Pistons are considering season-ending knee surgery after he suffered a knee injury last week. I mean, I just feel really bad for Blake Griffin. This is going to be the third year in a row. It's just rough. I mean, that's kind of been his career. It's unfortunate to see, but, I mean, maybe we label him as one of these injury-prone guys. I don't, I don't know. It's it's awful. And on a very sad note, former NBA commissioner David Stern passed away at the age of 77. I've actually been one who's been very critical of David Stern. Mm-hmm. My favorite player is Chris Paul. He vetoed that trade to the Lakers. Um, but, I mean, there's no... No to his route. David Stern did so much for the game of basketball and for the NBA. Actually, he was a member of my fraternity. I think he graduated from Rutgers in like 66, Sigma Alpha Mu. So, yeah, very, very sad to lose brother David Stern. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Here comes a fact straight at you. DK Metcalf had a rookie postseason record, 160 receiving yards against the Eagles on Sunday. I mean, does that make him the best uh, rookie postseason receiver in the league right now? Um, I I think, I mean, postseason for sure, the entire year, I may still go A.J. Brown. I guess A.J. Brown's also still in the postseason, so I don't know. But considering Tannehill only had, what, like 85 yards passing or some crap like that, so. Brown getting shut down by Gilmore shouldn't really be held against him. And if you just look at overall season numbers, consider the quarterbacks. A.J. Brown had 100 more yards than D.K. Metcalf. His quarterback was Marriott and Tannehill. Metcalf had Russell Wilson throwing him the ball, so I'd go with A.J. Brown. And a lot of people are going to go with the the Seahawks run the ball a lot as, as a point to go with uh, A.J. Brown over D.K. Metcalf. Don't forget that the Titans have Derrick Henry, which who emerged as one of the, if not the best, running back in the league this year. So you got you can't put that handicap on, on A.J. Brown. Right, and it's funny because they were, they were teammates. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, because of A.J. Brown devalued what DK Metcalf was um, and all throughout that Eagles game especially on the last play if you watch how he gets open um, it's just a hesitation move and, and there's a lot of questions coming in about DK's agility and what that was met with by DK truthers like myself was agility's not going to matter when you're that big and that fast and that's what it was he ran a hesitation move and ran right by the guy so tell you isn't for sure jj are thick of white so uh, yeah, yeah it's, my God. It's, it's not a great rookie well, year when for you're JJ. that big as dk when you're a smaller receiver you have to be much more agile because you have to create space when you're dk metcalf a simple move can create space because you have such a wide frame you're not going to get around them but you mentioned the last play of the Seattle Philadelphia game in the wild card. I mean, give me your wild card takeaways in general, because I know you both are sitting there hurting right now. Well, you know, I'm not hurting. I I was 
so I've been to a lot a lot of Eagles games. I've been very, very blessed throughout my entire life to have tickets, to be able to go see a lot of the games. Uh, I've seen them been blown out. Arizona destroyed them one year. I've seen... Um, I've seen really close losses, but I've never been as viscerally angry Good word. Um, as I was at that game. And there's a couple reasons. Number one, first and foremost, go off. Jadavian Clowney was allowed <laughs> go off. to deliver an illegal blow with no repercussion to the back of the head of Carson Wentz. So take away teams and names from this. I, You as a football fan should be mad about this. I don't care if you're an Eagles fan or not. They made a whole movie about... The dangers of helmet-to-helmet contact, repetition, big blows to the head. It's, it's the whole movement in the NFL, especially at the quarterback position, protecting the most valuable asset in the NFL. And this call goes uncaught. And look, I, I've moved on in terms of my emotions. If you, if you had me in here, I probably wouldn't be able to refrain from cursing uh, 24 hours after. I've moved on, right? Wentz was injured. After he was out, they really had no hope of winning. But the fact that people are coming after Carson Wentz for not being, this is always injury prone. It's like saying if I was a driver and I'm going through a green light, just going along, and someone T-bones me, and the cop comes and goes, well, sir, there's only one explanation. You're just a bad driver. No, I, that, that, that wouldn't fly, would well, it? Well, here, it would not fly if your driving record was clean. Carson, we- Carson Wentz's driving record is not clean, especially come playoff times to be the third year in a row that he's gotten hurt and hasn't been able to either start or finish a playoff game. That's where it comes from. Head injuries are very different, though. My takeaway from the game is just, I was just sad. It's just, it just stinks. Like, he played his ass off to claw this team into the playoffs after all the bullshit about how he can't make it, can't get, you've never played in a playoff game, and then six plays in, he gets cheap-shotted and he's out again. It's just, it's just horrible. So, right, and it, let's say Wentz didn't play his ass off and the Eagles don't make the playoffs. Wentz would have played all 16 games and we wouldn't be having this conversation about him being injury-prone or not. A guy, so another, another argument I saw was, oh, well, he... He kind of brings it upon himself to dive head first, and he's not giving himself up. Number one, against Atlanta on a two-point conversion, Carson Wentz dove head first into the end zone, and they called him down because he gave himself up. The quarterback diving forward for whatever reason, okay, I get it, whatever, that was your call. But then for the referees of the Seattle-Philadelphia game to say, oh, well, he wasn't giving himself up because he was diving forward is the epitome of why people have such a huge issue with NFL officiating and the lack of consistency. I don't know. I mean, right now they're reviewing the hit. I doubt anything will be will become of it because it's be, so I far removed. Be a fine. Maybe him. a fine, whatever. I know Clowney almost ripped Nick Foles' head off when he was wearing an Eagles jersey. I think that was not this year, but last year. And uh, you know where where does the buck stop? Maybe when he maybe when he mauls Aaron Rodgers, maybe maybe we'll see something done well, about when it. When he when he goes after an MVP, it's a Super Bowl winner, someone with a, with a big big contract, someone who wears the shield of the NFL on their sleeve. I think that's when they're that's when they're really gonna gonna come down to. It. But let, let's break down the game as a whole. Let's get away from just the hit because there was a whole playoff game that had to go both in and around that hit. I mean, we break down. The, the team the team stats. You have 20 first downs for Philadelphia, 16 first downs for Seattle. 382 total yards of offense for Seattle, only 282 total yards for, for the Philadelphia Eagles on offense. We know partly why. 
Um, six yards per play for Seattle, four yards per play for Philly. 318 yards passing for Seattle, 162 yards for Philly. When you break it down, it looks like Seattle had a better game on paper. Yet, Philly only lost by one score. Why do you think that is? A lot of it was we blocked a field goal early in the game. Uh, they gave those points back, though, with the— fa- I mean, I'm not going to call it a phantom call, but it was a four-point swing on the Russell Wilson pa- uh, roughing the passer, which I believe it would have been third down after that play. You can assume Eagles' great red zone defense. I'm going to assume that that ends up being three points instead of seven. So, I, I mean— Also, on the last drive, we had, like, a 40-yard P.I. that doesn't count towards total yards when he uh, McCown threw it to Gibson. But I think the, the the point differential's easily shown in the red zone deficiency we had without our quarterback. We were third in the NFL in red zone offense this year, and we lost our quarterback, and we kicked a field goal once, and we turned it over on downs twice. You just There were get, points right there. Yeah, that's, that's it. I, I think if Wentz is in, I'm not going to say we win, but we're winning 20-17, to 17 and Wilson has the ball at the chance to win. And a that's lot, what happens. And a lot over this year has been said about the defense, especially Jim Schwartz, especially the secondary. Yes, you guys gave up 382 passing yards. I am okay with giving up 382 passing yards if I'm holding one of the best quarterbacks in the league to 17 points for the second time. It's the same score as their first game. The second time. To me in the NFL, if you hold an offense, especially a good Good one, especially in the playoffs, to under 20 points, you deserve to win the football game. So, from my standpoint, the Eagles' defense did what they were supposed to. You're going to give up plays. It's the playoffs. It's the Russell. It's Russell Wilson. You hold any team to 17 points in the playoffs, I think you deserve to come away with a victory. And I do have to subscribe to the notion that if things were different, if Carson Wentz didn't get injured, I think you guys put up more than 17 and win the ball game at home. Right, probably. Um, I mean, just the matchup is tough for Seattle because. The Eagles' defense, a lot has been made about their secondary, but Seattle's game is predicated on running the football, and the Eagles' defense, the first, you know, their first responsibility that they're checking the box every time, every down, is stopping the run to Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox, by the way, had a phenomenal game. I thought um, the entire defense played pretty well, as you said, James. When you when you hold a guy like Russell Wilson, 17 points, it's very impressive. And on the other side of the ball, I thought Josh McCown. I didn't really know what to expect when he came into the game. To be honest, I felt dead in the stadium. And then he started slinging it. I think there was a little bit of shock and awe when they changed the game plan for McCown. Doug mentioned that, uh, Doug Peterson mentioned that was something that they thought about. Well, you got to remember, this is not the first time the Eagles have had to go into the postseason. It's actually the third year in a row. The Eagles had to go into the postseason with a backup quarterback. I think, one, they may not be, they might not be expecting it, but they're prepared for it. They're going to have to know that if Carson goes down and we have to put Josh McCown in, we can't run this exact same offense. We're going to have to tailor it to Josh McCown. I think they were prepared to do that. Also, if you're Josh McCown, you know that this team is used to having a backup come in. Backups come in all the way around, and we still got to pick it up and win. So there's there's no... The fans may have been the most dejected people in the stadium because the team was like, look, this ain't nothing new. We didn't do this all season. So I sit 10 rows back from the end zone after the Russell Wilson um, inter... Er, roughing the passer call they line up for the extra point and i'm irate at this point um and i shriek at the top of my lungs i look and the referees they line up right under the goalpost, and i'm yelling like number seven i can't really say what i said necessarily but uh he turns around and starts talking trash to the fan base number seven the back judge uh of that officiating crew never went through the trouble of seeing who it was but like if i'm the nfl that is the most embarrassing and unbecoming thing. Like, you're not having a good game. You know, these referees, they get graded um, after the game. 
I think everyone can agree throughout the entire postseason that the referees weren't that great. But to be talking shit to, like, the home... First off, do you know where, where you are? Like, do you know where you are? You want a, a brick thrown through your window? Right, right, right. Then you want a brick thrown at your head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pr- actually, I'm proud of the fans for not showering... Uh, Mr. Clowny and any yingling or hot chocolate. I expected something to fly. I really did expect. I considered it, but I couldn't. I I I couldn't. I couldn't let the narrative continue. Well, the narrative that will continue is the fact that Seattle only scored 17 points in a playoff game. That that hurts. And I came across a stat that since the Chris Carson injury, the Seahawks are running the ball on first down 48.1% of the time, a rate that would have been the highest first down running percentage in the NFL this season. All of this despite having a negative expected points per play on those same running attempts. Now, that comes with 17 points in a playoff game. Do you think Brian Schottenheimer's play calling is holding back the Seattle's offense? Because they're going to have to go into a better team on the road against Green Bay. This actually may play to their favor. I know that it's all, all the stats are, are saying it's counterintuitive, but with Green Bay, the way that you beat them is by running the football. The Eagles, the Eagles did it, right. The Eagles aren't that good. They weren't that good of a team back then when they beat the Packers. The Packers since, what, did they end up winning 13 games this yep, year? 13 and So, three. obviously, they had a lot of success, but the way that you get to them is running the football. Plus, you don't let the two Smith boys, uh, Zadarius and Preston, on either end go after Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they'll work off of their play action, which they always do. Casual fans will go into this game expecting a quarterback duel, and they, they'll see a lot of rushes. It's, it's, it's gonna, they're going to be very disappointed. I mean, but going back to the Brian Schottenheimer thing, Brian Schottenheimer, I view, in, is the NFL version of Mark Jackson with the Warriors. Oh, no. Like, the team's, like, good, but there's so much unlocked potential that just... A coach could just come in and they'd be putting up 30 points per game. Especially when you have a gunslinger, or I won't call him a gunslinger, he's not careless with the football, but a magician, a playmaker at the quarterback position like Russell Wilson, and guys who know him. What they know when, especially Tyler Lockett, they know when Russell gets out the pocket, just find, just go somewhere and find a hole and sit there, and Russell will find you. To put the offense and him in a constraint like that is you get 17 points. Every time they ran the ball, I thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, Mr. But, Schottenheimer. But to your point, Jake, that's that's going to be something that they're probably going to want to do this game as Green Bay ranks 23rd in DVOA against the run. They're almost almost last in the league. And, and we've talked about, like, I get that Seattle lost their running backs. It so does not matter. Like, they signed Robert Turbin and Marshawn Lynch, and they're still going to be just as effective as if they had... Marshawn Lynch had a touchdown uh, the first game he was there. Chris Carson. Actually, like, Travis Homer has, has shown some nice... Things they run like a zone blocking scheme for him. He's been pretty good. Uh, but I, I, another big point of where this game will swing is how healthy is Seattle's offensive line going to be? I think one of the reasons that Fletcher Cox had such a great game, they were missing three starting offensive linemen. Um, I don't know the status. I know Mike Ayupati might be on track to play, and he's a big one for them. But we'll see. We'll see. It, it's going to be a close game. I would predict a one-score game if I had to predict the score. One score. What are you predicting? Uh, I'd say Packers win by 10, like 27-17 kind of thing. I mean, the, the Packers do have a big offensive strike in their rushing attacks. So they can attack the Seattle's defensive line that way. Fourth in DVO in rushing while Seattle ranks 26th in rushing defense. But there are many more games to get to in the divisional matchup. The next one in the NFC is going to be the Vikings and 49ers. The last time the Vikings won two playoff games in a season was in 1987. That year, they went on the road to New Orleans and then beat the 49ers in the divisional round. Well, history repeats itself. That's the exact same matchup they're going to face this weekend. I'm shocked. 
Kirk Cousins won a big game. Man, this is not supposed to oh, happen. Oh, first of all, collapse the stat map. Collapse the stat map. Uh, I was all in on Kirk all Cousins in. the whole On our year. last episode, which shows me <laughs> you didn't listen to her. On our last episode, <laughs> stat map gave one of his Christmas presents. He gave Kirk Cousins a Pro Bowl slot for how he's been overlooked this year. He thought he was the third best quarterback in the NFC. And Captain Cook went out and proved it. So, claps you, Stephen. That throw to Thielen was great. Right. Well, I, he, I, he was he was he was great on that last. There drive. is again. You talk about untapped potential. I think this Minnesota team. When you look, even on both sides of the ball, really. When you look at the playmakers that they have, whether it's Dalvin Cook, Kyle Rudolph still putting in work, and then the two receivers that they have, um, or on the defensive end. You have Hunter, you have Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks. There's just guys, you know, you go down the list, there's there's these big names, um, but they really haven't lived up to that potential. They have a chance to finally live up to that potential. If they beat the 49ers, it's legit. This is the hottest team in the playoffs and, right now. And very good point, the hottest team, and we see that. Every year there's one team that gets hot in the playoffs that is like they, they're going to be the giant killer. They're, they're going to be the team that upsets everyone and goes on and, and wins it all. And Minnesota is looking like that team catching fire at the right time. And, Jake, you mentioned all the playmakers, all the receivers they have on offense, Diggs, Thielen, Rudolph, Dalvin, Cook getting involved in the offensive uh, in, in the passing game plan. Which of those receivers has to be the most prominent? Because we've seen that rarely is more than one. Most of the time, it's one receiver that has a big game that propels them. Last week, it was Adam Thielen. Who do you think it has to be this week? Um, Whichever one isn't covered by Sherman. Sherman. I was told, yeah. I don't know. Do, do they do the same thing where does Sherman, Sherman follow? Sta- he usually stays on one side of the field. Okay, then it'll be whoever's opposite. Yeah, I, I would have to say it's whoever's opposite of Sherman because both Diggs and Thielen are more than capable of breaking a game wide open. They've both done it this year, um, but they've done it, as you said, less frequently together. Where last year, I think they maybe ran the ball a little bit less. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I do know that in the middle of the year, Diggs was unhappy, Thielen was unhappy at one point, uh, and they've came a long way from that. What well, happened in succession, right? We we saw Adam Thielen come out and say, hey, I don't think I'm getting the ball enough. Next game, six catches, 120 yards, a touchdown. Stephon Diggs the next week, well, I'm not getting the ball enough. Here you go. Ten catches, 180 yards, two touchdowns against the Eagles, something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Then Kyle Rudolph is like, hey, well, don't forget about me. Okay, here you go. Five catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. It, it happens back-to-back-to-back to back to back like that. So maybe it's Stephon Diggs' turn this time, especially we saw him get a little bit frustrated in the midst of that win, not getting the ball a lot. This um, line is too high. It's like an eight-and-a-half-point line. That's crazy. There's it's a lot the, of massive it's lines, the yeah. fifth team. It's, uh, the 49ers are the fourth-best team, according to VOA. Uh, Minnesota's seventh. This well, line should be like five-and-a-half, six. Well, I think they're looking at the fact that, obviously, the 49ers are home, so you give them three points for that. And also... Probably the best, if if not just barely the second best defense that we have in the league right now. I mean, there's not many weaknesses that present itself on this 49ers defense, but they do rank 11th in DVOA against the run, second against the pass, which we talked about I, that great second. I think it, it it's starting to get a little out of hand in terms of the hype of the 49ers defense. They have a very good defense. They also were just involved in a absolute nail biter with the Seahawks that it's they the might not have. Game got. at the end of the year, I guess, but, we just, but we just talked about how bad. I mean, look, the Eagles are not a, like we want to look through the transitive property here. The Eagles aren't a great team. They're banged up. They're without Wentz, and the Seahawks just barely beat also them. At home. They Eagles win by one score, right? And but then, they, they lose to Seattle at home in overtime. Yeah, in the middle the season. Yeah. So I, look. 
they could end up going and winning the Super Bowl. That is well within their capability. The 49ers, that is. They also could come out in the first game. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't, you know, looks like his head is spinning in his first playoff Zimmer start. has a good defensive scheme. And throws the ball around. It's getting picked off. And they end up losing that game. Both things are very possible. Matt, I agree. It should not be an eight-point line. Uh, we're not really a betting show. But if I am a better, you... You yeah. are a better. Right. <laughs> you, I'm a little bit of a better. You are a better. Actually, I put $50. But I had like 55 in my account on FanDuel. I put it on... The Sixers line against the Thunder coming off a three-game uh, losing streak, and they got beat by the Thunder. I think it was I mean, by, like, 11 or 12 points. Excuse me, by the Rockets. I'm sorry. By the Rockets, and they got beat by a couple I points. I mean, the I reason no why... I, Never I, bet for teams you root for. It's yeah, double no, it's terrible. It's terrible. Bad. But the reason why I do have a little bit of faith, not a little bit, the reason why I have faith in the 49ers is because I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo win a lot of different kind of games this year. I mean, we look at the schedule. He won an ugly 9 nothing game against the Redskins. Yes, against the Redskins, but on the road, nasty, terrible but environment. To me, if it's it 9 nothing, that's the defense that, winning that is, the game more is, than the offense. That, that's true. That is very true. But they still came away with the victory. We've seen him win. We've seen him win shootouts. We've seen him win overtime games. I mean, he went on the road to New Orleans and beat the Saints on the road, put up 48 against them, had to go into Seattle and beat Seattle on the road to secure up the number one seed. We've seen Jimmy Garoppolo do things. He's made me a little bit of a believer. Can he do it in a playoff game? I, I'm semi-confident. I don't think he has to be great. I just think he can't screw it up. I think he just has to be decent. Little, basically how he's played this entire year. I think the reason why a lot of people discount the 49ers, and I'm someone who picked them to go to the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago, if they got the buy, and they did, is that they're not great at any aspect they're just very good like they're not there's not a lot of 10 out of 10s but everything's like an at least an eight and so people don't see like the greatness but it's just the combination of very good very good very good right yeah and they've really beefed i mean obviously adding emmanuel sanders to me i think is going to be a big move as we come down the stretch now you have a really uh experienced guy that can kind of open up the offense before they were running a lot of like funky two running back two tight end weird innovative stuff to get their offense going now you can kind of have a couple different looks at it i think that makes a difference well, to me the fact that they have four running backs they legit can use in rotation i mean you always have fresh legs at the running back position and they all produce i mean they're running it's crazy it's all of them. your dad hasn't even played for them in two years is jarek mckinnon like would fit perfectly into this well i don't know anymore after two acl surgeries or achilles or whatever he did but like yeah they're they're stacked with weapons and they have the and, best tight end in football in yeah George that helps yeah, so yeah, that very much helps. Uh, I I don't know. To me, I if I had to, Matt, where, where are you going with this game? I think Niners win a tight one. Yeah, they I by, have a tough like twenty four to twenty. I've got a tough time picking Kirk Cousins to win two straight big games when he barely wins Man, one. You put some respect Kirk. on Cap. I refuse. Name. You he'll put have some to, respect have to get to on the it. Super Bowl and then maybe I'll, a blank you don't have to hate him anymore. He's out of the division. I know, but I like Kirk that. Kirk Cousins gonna really, come in here like Birdman. You like that, rather. like Birdman. How you, y'all talking that disrespect? I right, for that disrespect, man. Put some respect on my yeah, name. Kirk Cousins apologized to his receiver publicly after the receiver said he's not getting the ball enough. I don't think Kirk Cousins is gonna and then be he do? intimidating. And anymore. then what do you do? That same receiver popped is off Kirk for Cousins a game and a win. Kirk Cousins gives me Mormon vibes. <laughs> Mormon. Anyway, let's talk about the AFC side of this because I think these games are just as, if not a little bit more, intriguing. Starting with this Titans Ravens game, I mean the Titans took down the Evil Empire in the in the in the Patriots in a very 
ugly, uh, ugly game, but they ended up winning. Um, but they have to go in against the number one seed in the Ravens. And despite the Ravens having the fourth ranked highest DVOA defensively, they only rank 19th and run defense in DVOA. So that's an advantage that Tennessee can exploit because we talked about him earlier, the big bowling ball that is Derrick Henry that is emerging. I mean, how do we see that really playing? I in don't this think game? they'll have a chance to because I think. Baltimore is going to be so hyped, and they're going to jump on them early, and it'll be 14 nothing within 10 minutes. Well, if I'm Baltimore, uh, Derrick Henry sees no less than 8-9 in the box, and if Ryan Tannehill beats me, they deserve to win that Tannehill's game. Tannehill's been very good this so year. So, I actually, I saw um, our guy... Uh, Teron Davenport from Phoenixville. He mm-hmm. is the beat reporter for ESPN. He was breaking down um, how Tennessee's defensive coordinator... Uh, actually handled the uh, Greg Roman read option type plays when they matched up years ago. I'm forgetting exactly what game it was, but I I do think that Tennessee's defense has the tools to put together a game plan to slow down Lamar Jackson. Obviously, you haven't, you know, no one's really stopped him, but can you slow him down to the point where running, you know, he's not ripping off six, seven, eight yards every single run, and and they're just marching it down your throat to where if your offense doesn't get going, you know, you're not winning a 14-13 game versus the Ravens. Uh, that being said, I think that Derrick Henry has shown that maybe it's time to bring the workhorse back, back in the NFL. He was given the ball uh, 34 times against the Patriots, and every single time the Patriots knew he was getting the ball, and he averaged 5.4 yards per carry in that game, 182 yards total. He, like... Feed the beast. I mean, like... Let the mailman carry the tote. I get it. Like, all the pictures and memes were, like, coming out of college. Oh, he's so big. Look at him against Saban. Like, no, this guy... And I don't know if you guys saw his high school stats. Laughable. Like, 4,000 yards in a season. Well, he looked the exact same in high school as he does now. So think about that. Against (laughs) 16 through 18-year-olds, he looks like Derrick Henry looks now. You'd have to pay me a lot of money to get me to try to tackle Derek Henry. Especially one-on-one in the hole. I don't yeah, care how much money I make. Me. He's getting throughout the year. I gotta I was... get at least five figures. <laughs> at, at so... Five figures, man. I need an insurance policy. Right. <laughs> like, I need a million dollars. Five figures is covering your hospital bills. Yeah, it's covering uh, the ambulance ride. I, I, watching him, though, it's like really mind-blowing. Throughout the year, he gets all these long touchdowns. And I'm like, he is way too big of a guy to not be able to run down for 70 yards. And then you watch the play, and, like, three guys will catch people, up to People him. can't catch him. He just beats them it down. It amazes me. Arms. It amazes me. Like, Jacksonville, he gives Jacksonville the work, dude. He has broken off a couple long runs where he just brutalizes them downfield. That 99-yard run last year it's hilarious. piece of beauty. He's awesome. But just going over his all the accolades, leads led in the NFL in rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, most yards after contact, most rushing first downs. Like, this guy's turned into the best running back in the league, and he's on a middling Quietly. offense. Quietly. A middling offense. Uh, I mean, middling before Tannehill got there. Now, right. Tannehill did get there and light a little bit of a spark. A lot of a spark. A Third lo- in expected points out of this year. Second in completion percentage over expected. Eight completions that in the playoffs. That is incredible. Yeah, they and then they completion in the playoffs. The but Patriots defense and secondary have shut down a lot of good quarterbacks this <laughs> right. year. And over, like, really explain that the completion percentage. Basically, it assesses how deep of basically the air yards you're throwing. If you're throwing deep passes, it gives you more leniency. If you're throwing short passes, it doesn't give you a lot of slack. 
So based on how the average depth of his target, he is second most accurate quarterback in the league this year. And, and that really puts context. I like these stats because it puts context around a lot of it. Obviously, you're not going to be as accurate if a ball is traveling 30 yards in the air as if it's traveling, you know, 10 to 10 to 15 yards in the air. But wherever it is traveling, Ryan Tannehill makes sure makes sure that it's accurate. And when you're not working with the greatest receiving core in the league, actually probably one of the most subpar receiving cores in the league, you have to be accurate with the football. For a guy who was basically run out of Miami, injury prone after injury prone, and then didn't succeed, lost his starting job to a, a second-year player who was run out of Arizona, to come in to Tennessee, take the backup role, and then take it from Marcus Mariota and lead this team to the playoffs. I mean, I think Ryan Taylor deserves just as much credit as Kirk Cousins. Or does Marcus Mariota just suck? That That's the second part of it. <laughs> that could be it. I mean, so the Buccaneers, wait, what you just told me Somewhere is the Buccaneers made the right pick in 2015. That's not what I told you. That's They're both <laughs> mediocre in completely opposite but ways. Is, but who is less mediocre? Jameis is more excitingly mediocre. I'll take the exciting mediocre <laughs> every day. 10, t- 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Uh, Jameis is 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. So it's just more content. Hey, man, life's more fun. We take the content here. It's Life, straight facts. Life's more fun that way. All right, moving into the last game of the divisional round, we have the Texans versus the Chiefs, who, in my opinion, are probably slated as the team in the best position to make a Super Bowl run, at least in the AFC. But since 2017, Deshaun Watson has eight fourth-quarter comebacks. He did one last week against the Bills. The second most in the NFL. Like, will Watson be able to pull another miracle win out against Kansas City? That stat makes it seem the fact that Kansas City is going to start up in this game, which I believe. I The Texans are, like, 22nd in DVOA this year which shows that Watson's, like, willed a bad team to wins that they shouldn't have. I mean, he's by far, I mean, he was sacked the most by any quarterback this year. He was hit the most by any quarterback this year. He was hurried the most by any quarterback this year. He made the most runs on the throw, the most runs out of the pocket. I mean, he takes w- whichever. Some of, a, some of those stats are, are his fault. Uh, some yeah, some yeah. of them. Some of them he, he evades when he doesn't need to. But if I'm working with that bad of an offensive line, if I hit two and a half, three in my head, I'm moving. Like, I'm not going to wait for the pocket to collapse. I'm going to have to move because I know it's going down. I'm not going to I'm not gonna be in the house when it when it falls on me. Deshaun Watson is quietly, I think, I mean, I, it's it's like, it's hard to put because like, like we, we had this conversation off mic is that I feel he's underrated, but can you really call someone underrated? Fourth in MVP voting. When they're fourth in MVP voting, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think he's underrated in the sense that people who know, that means people who know football, who are voting on these things, they're giving him credit. But I feel like within the media, when you look around at Lamar Jackson, when you look around at Patrick Mahomes and these other, uh, you know, young guys who are getting all this press and all these highlights churned out about him and all this content churned out about him, Deshaun Watson is a guy who deserves that, who I don't think has been getting that. But, I he, think but he makes the same kind of highlight real type plays. I mean, the man got his eye poked out and threw a touchdown pass. I think, like, if you look at, like, the years, like, Mahomes exploded last year, big all talk of the town. Lamar was this year. Watson's year was his rookie year, and then he tore his ACL, mm-hmm. and people forgot. He was throwing touchdowns at an incredible rate, and he'll really have to do something special to beat this Chiefs team because it's just a gigantic coaching mismatch. It, oh, it's, it's a, a coaching huge, mismatch. A, a, for sure a coaching mismatch. This is probably one of the only times in Andy Reid's career that he's going in with this crazy of a favorable coaching mismatch. It's a coaching mis- mismatch. 
until they have to manage time. Oh, yeah, both of them are terrible. It's going to be a blowout. It won't matter. <laughs> both, of, so. both of them are terrible at managing time. That's going to be hilarious <laughs> in the last five minutes to see who runs out of timeouts first. It's really going to also, be hilarious. We're not a big We're kind of neutral in the AFC, but I'm not because I desperately want to see a Ravens-Chiefs AFC title game. That'll be the most exciting that, yeah. football game of the season. Right. Let's Don't screw around, guys. Win that game. Yeah, win, win that game. All right. It's enough for the pros because coming up next Monday, we have what will be one of the most watched television events of the year, and that's the college football playoff national championship game featuring LSU versus your precious Clemson Tigers over there, Stat Matt. So another fact for you, LSU is the first team in college football history to have a 5,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, and 2,000-yard receivers. Like, my goodness. Uh, will Clemson be able to slow down this juggernaut offense enough to win its third national championship in four years. Might I add that with those, LSU might be, if not already is, the best offense of college football history. I want to hear what Matt has to say about this. Their offense is unbelievable. Joe Burrow's having the best quarterback season ever. The only other argument you can make is Cam Newton, because Cam Newton literally didn't play with any NFL players, mm-hmm. um, essentially, that Auburn team. Burrow has lo- come out of nowhere. He was just like a good quarterback last year, and he's has like the highest, he has 77% completion percentage when he chucks the ball downfield, like every play is just absurd. And uh, they, lighting up eight touchdowns, 403 yards in the first half against Oklahoma. Like, come on, man. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I didn't watch that game. So, like, I, I saw, like, the recap come up on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or something. I thought I was, re- I thought I was reading the end score. Like, I thought I, thought I was reading something. He about. had more touchdowns. Responsible for he has as many touchdowns responsible for in one game in Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta as Matt Ryan has had this entire NFL season. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh man! Oh my! Oh man! That's a walloper of a oh, stat. There, oh my! Matt. Oh my! But <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I was waiting for it. I was waiting. But Bart Club is going to win by double digits. No, they're not. I, I said that. Uh, you said that about a Ohio ago, State. Yeah. I said they're going to beat them. I see it. They're going to beat them both by double digits and. That's not going to happen. But Clemson doesn't know how to lose. They absolutely should have lost to Ohio State. They had no right of winning. But they forgot. They just don't know how to lose. Uh, And they pulled a win out of their ass. Trevor Lawrence decided to up his 40 time by two points. Yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to take the consistent great team over the over the new one, and I just want to say... Well, they're not new. Resurgent is the word I would use for them. New they're coach, though. Edo. Right, back, everyone's back gonna, everyone life. in the country is going to root for LSU except for Clemson fans. And I respect that. I don't that. think that. I don't think that. Right, I'll be answer, rooting for LSU, man. <laughs> just because of you. But it, answer me this. Because it's not like they're facing a Clemson team who hasn't put up, what, 40 points what, eight, nine times this year, haven't blown teams out. They won by an average margin of 35-plus in a regular season. This is a juggernaut offense, too. They may not have the, the season-long accolades, but they got players on offense. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, a Travis Etienne, a T. Higgins. They have players which offense truly has to leg up because LSU averages about 30 points given up a game. Uh, that's all fair, and I think it's going to be a very, very close game. When you look at, like, the counting stats and yards per game, uh, the offenses are about the same in terms of yards per game. LSU's played tougher competition. Uh, Much but, tougher. But, Much tougher. Right, and, and, right, that's what I was going to be my point, is that the ACC this year has not been what it has been of late the past couple years. Uh, uh, and, uh, I mean, obviously, aside from Clemson. But I think that Clemson's 
done a little bit of a disservice coming into the year preseason number one they don't lose and somehow end up being number three coming into the college football playoffs i mean you a had that least... underdog is disrespectful i know it's in new orleans it's disrespectful i'm sorry they got to be able to they got to be giving lsu some because it's in new orleans they got to be giving i got, them, I got to give them to i thought give them two i i I'm biased. I thought Clemson would be favored because FPI isn't favored. Then I thought about it rationally from a, for myself. I thought a push makes sense. And it started minus three. It's like two points for LSU. And then it keeps going up and up and up. And it means people are. I just want to. Like, here's a couple things. This is the third time LSU. that Clemson has played the greatest college football team ever in the national title game. 2016. Here's a. Article from Rolling Stone. Is this Alabama squad the best college football team of all time? Got plunked. They lost last second. 2018, Alabama's only worthy opponent is history. They got blown out, held that two offense to 16 points. This year, LSU could be on the verge of the most impressive season in college football history. That's where I think Clemson has the leg up. Because one, they've Dabo has been in this position for the last three years. Edo hasn't. Trevor Lawrence has been in this position where not only has he been to the national championship, he's been to the national championship as an underdog, as a great underdog, with facing what you just said, quote unquote, the best offense of all time. He did it last year and it didn't phase him. He smoked him. He actually lived for it. He he waited for they love that opportunity to prove them wrong. That's the kind of games that get any Trevor betting fans up. out there. Clemson has only not covered once in any college football playoff game. If I was a betting mm. man, which I am not, the only thing I play is roulette because it's only it's a 50 50 chance. But if I was a betting man, it's actually technically not 50 50 on they the put, outside. On they, the outside, it's they, put the, they put the green spaces in there. I thought, oh, that's true. You got the it's like zero 49. Zero. That's okay. how come on. Casino always got to have an edge, James. You got to well, remember well, that. Well, thank you for ruining what was my only casino game. Now I'm not going back because <laughs> I have no because now I'm at a disadvantage. When you walk into a casino, just know you're at a disadvantage. You're at a disadvantage. That's a good rule. <laughs> when, you, when you walk in, um. But if I if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on Clemson. Okay, I need an outcome prediction. 45-41 Clemson. I do agree that it's it's a High shootout scoring. of a game. It's a shootout of a game for yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's probably going to have to trend that way. I don't I don't want to hop on Matt's wave. I'll go I'll go I say I say like 46. Something 41, crazy. Something go like, like what, what's like a hard score to get? Scoregami. You ever seen that? 46-43. I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. We're all, we're Unconventional. We're the, I will not be surprised <laughs> Dirk played with one Thank all-star you. for like a six-year stretch, and he won like 55 games every year and made a finals during it. And, Dirk, and took out a regime. Dirk is a top, one. borderline top 20 player all time. Mm-hmm. Luka is going to be a great player for a long time. I think his ceiling is like a little bit better than Dirk, though. Yeah, not enough... Um... We haven't seen enough of Luka yet. because And, and they're on two different trajectories because remember early on, there were a lot of questions about Dirk. Dirk, uh, Dirk sucked this first year. Right. <laughs> well, not even just the first year, but losing to Golden State is the one seed. Like, he did take some heat mm-hmm. earlier in his career, and, and then he turned it around and did some really incredible things like you guys mentioned. I'm starting, and it's unfortunate, but I can feel it happening. I know it's happening. I'm going against Luka Doncic. Like, I'm, he is now the media He's too attention. Hyped. He's too hyped. The too hyped. If you watch the game, 
He'll send everyone into the corner, and he'll dribble for 20 seconds, drive, miss a shot, and they go down the other way. It's terrible. Luka, to me, is being a product of I was so good in Europe, and no one knew about me. Now I'm good, and everyone knows about me. I love the notoriety. Luckily, they're still winning games. I don't think Luka would change anything if they were 5-20 and 20 but right like, now. I think he'd do the right, same yeah, thing because yeah. he's getting the notoriety. He so just the problem is, you got Porz- Porzingis has been hurt, but when Porzingis comes back, like that stand in the corner and just be a stretch three-point shooter for us is not going to be how you get the most out of Kristaps and I, Porzingis. And I want to give Dirk his credit because Dirk is one of the players, in my opinion, in NBA history who changed the game. I think Dirk is the person who made the modern stretch four, stretch five so popular. He was the first one to really have it not in his game but it was his game maybe opens the door for the two current mavericks to be top five nba draft picks with how dominant he was as a european player that had really never been done to that capacity before so and it surprised me that jerry west because jerry west is old dirt he's seen a lot of players right jerry so west is the guy that gm too so he's seen a lot of great players so i'm very surprised not just Aaron hot takes to Aaron hot takes yeah, he's saying that because he, he believes he it, believes it. i'm a little I surprised agree. look i'm gonna move on roy williams let it fly this past week he's very very upset about his unc team they're currently eight and six unranked the, one of the last seeds in the ACC right now, he said, this UNC team is the least gifted team I have ever coached. Is he speaking what a facts? What, what, what a Ooh. baby. What a baby. Ouch. Who goes and gets these players, Roy? It's you. <laughs> You're the one. And guess what? Oh, well, we you haven't can been lose able to recruit you can, well. you can lose recruits. And he's based off of how he's performed in the past years. It's literally all on his shoulders. I don't know what he's talking about. He's lost a decent amount of recruits. He only has one five-star on the team right now. And he lost Cole Anthony in the, what, seventh game of the season to a season-ending injury, which hurts. But that being said, his recruiting class is better than... 95% 95% of the schools in the country. Eight and six, that's on him. It's his job. He's got good right. players that aren't great players, and he's mad. You got players that are better enough to go eight and six, my guy. Don't put it all on them. And most of them are freshmen. So you got to right. teach. You got you to teach, Roy. Wofford. Yeah, you got to teach, Roy. And it surprised me because Roy Williams is, is a guy just like the logo who's been around for a long time. So to come into strife like this and to totally just fold on a season and say, well, we're just not good. Nothing's going to come out of the season. One, you're 14 games into a 30-something game regular season before conference play. So you got you got time, my man. You got time to 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 right the ship. And UNC's a blue blood program. Get them above 500, they'll probably get a bid to the tournament as a double-digit seed. And then who knows? And even if it is true, like it might be true, right? You don't say it. Right? Like, it's like, it's <laughs> like Roy. Pedro Martinez is like, yep, the Yankees... I'm going to call them my daddy. Like, like you just don't say these things against your rivals because this will be used against him, whoever. Duke fans are probably jumping up and down laughing right now at this. And, oh, they were loving it. And here's the thing. You might be able to say it for grown men who are getting paid. These are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, <laughs> Wait, what does that man? help you? By... Who, what is that? What, what are you going to make them pout? You're going to locker room and they're going to hate you. Like, that's not, it's not going to do anything. But moving on, Tom Brady, the 42-year-old quarterback who everyone thought presumed this might be it had something to say this past week via instagram a whole long post but the basis of it him saying i still have more to prove i am not retiring is he speaking facts does tom brady have something to prove i don't even want to ask matt jake does tom brady have something to prove i want to hear what he has <laughs> no i don't think he does I, I truly don't think he does um he's argue uh, i mean unarguably 
the most dominant quarterback of my lifetime. I didn't get to see Marino, Montana, you know, they were before my time. Even if you did, he'd be, he'd be the most dominant. So, right, some people think that. I'm a little on the fence on pure skill where he ranks, but in terms of his career, his accolades, he's the GOAT. Um, and and if he were to retire today, he'd be the GOAT, regardless if he came back or not. So I, I, I don't think he has anything left to prove. He's speaking fast. He will forever be slighted by his draft position. And he, that's just, and that's what makes him unbelievable and just this nut job competitor. And I think, I think it's a far, I think it's never going to happen, but I think he desperately wants to go 19 and 0 because that got, that's the one thing that got stripped yeah. away that he didn't get back. And I don't know if he's a Patriot next year. I, he's a, I can't they, see they him didn't, for anybody else. he'll play for another team because he likes to play. Belichick will also shank anyone in the back if he views them <laughs> as not good enough anymore. But I don't, Belichick's going to look around for a new quarterback option and he's not going to like what he sees and they're going to go back to Brady, is what I. To thought. me, there's two things. One, I don't think he would have said this or agreed to come back if him and the Patriots didn't talk and say, hey, look, if you really want to come back, we'll sign you to a one or two year deal at a very, very minimum price to have you back. You're Tom Brady. You deserve to go out when you want to go out, especially with the Patriots. Two, I think what he's saying he has something left to prove is everyone saying, oh, he's done. He can't do it for another year. He wants to prove those people wrong. If he's still thinking like that, Tom, you will always have something right. to prove. People will always say you're done. You're, you're at the top of the mountain. People are going to want to see you fall every single year. If you use that as your motivator, you'll be 55 trying to go out there on a limp well, leg. he said 45 for like the past five years about like how long he wants to if play. If he gets to 45, makes the playoffs, and people say, you can't do it again, I guarantee you there's going to be a part of Tom Brady that says, F you, I can do it again, watch me. And he'll never be able to live, live down to that. But moving down to the countdown, guys, number five. The number of times a six seed has beaten a one seed in the NFL playoffs. They are five and 20 overall. And uh, the five teams are the 2005 Steelers, the 08 Ravens, the 08 Eagles, uh, 2010 Jets, and 2010 Packers. So 08 and uh, 2010, that was some tumultuous times for NFL top seeds. Yeah, I mean... It can still happen again. <laughs> it can still happen again this year. We'll, we'll see. Both both six seeds are still in the playoffs. Number four. The number of times the national championship game has been in New Orleans and also the number of times LSU has played in a national title game in New Orleans. Just a it's wild fun. stat. That's funny how that works out, huh? Well, they, no, they deserve yeah. to make it every right. time. No, you can't. That can't be on purpose. But that's still, it's, it's a wild coincidence. Number three. The number of black head coaches in the NFL, it's the same number as it was when the Rooney Rule was implemented in 2003 on a show that I produced, Home and Home. We actually had on a guy from the Washington Post, Adam Kilgore, who wrote a good article on this, and he laid it out uh, pretty comprehensively. There's no reason this is happening in terms of white head coaches getting more opportunities aside from skin color at this point. A great point to reference is the Detroit Lions. Jim Caldwell, I think he went 28 and 26 in three years. He got fired. 38 and 26. 38 and 26. Matt Patricia gets brought in. And in the two years he's been there, he's won like nine games. So uh, he continues to be allowed to coach. Jim Caldwell was fired after three years. It's a head scratcher. We have have a lot of viable candidates out there. A lot of viable African-American head coach candidates out there. Yet... Someone gets plucked from the wide receiver position in the Patriots organization to be the next head coach, not just of any team, of the biggest media market in the freaking world 
in New York and gets to go be the Giants head coach. So, I mean, I, I don't have, I don't, I don't, if I, if I start talking about it, I'll be talking about it for an hour. So it's a, it's, it's a point that everybody knows, but the NFL, it needs to be fixed. Number two. The number of Matt Rule coach teams that have gone from 11 losses to 11 wins in three seasons. My goodness. That is Temple, obviously, and Baylor. Which I'm doubled up, by the way. Temple hat and shirt on for uh, everyone just rock, listening. Rock your colors. Thank God he didn't go to the Giants. Uh, yeah. Matt, Matt Rule is a, a, a reviver, a savior of program. I mean, this Baylor team, it's funny. He made them so good, everyone forgot that Baylor was on the brink of getting kicked out the NCAA. Yeah. <laughs> and he brought them back to 11 wins, and in the final two weeks of the season was damn near competing. To they be were the overtime away from making the playoffs. Playoff. Playoff. So it, it's it, Matt Rule, I, I can't wait to see what he does in the NFL uh, with the Panthers. Um, it's going to be a great one. Bringing it down to number one. The number of times a wild card team has made it to the conference championship game since 2011 that would be the 2013 49ers. Was that Kaepernick? Led by who? Was that Colin Kaepernick? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. That was a great team. That was super exciting. Again, nothing more needs to be said about that. <laughs> All right. We're almost, time for, we're almost out of time, but we get, can get some shots about the buzzer. Jake, you have anything to say at the buzzer? So I told you guys I had a bad hot take to air. Oh, yeah. Here it is. For this one. After watching the playoffs, it is sunk in that it is true. Quarterbacks no longer matter in the NFL. If you look around, Ryan Tannehill just Jake, beat Jake, Tom Jake, Brady Jake, Jake. after throwing 85 Jake. yards on eight completions, right? Okay. Drew Brees lost to Kirk Cousins, and earlier in the year, when Drew Brees missed extensive time, they didn't miss a beat. Five games. Five games, they didn't miss a beat without Drew Brees. You keep looking around, look at the Eagles. They had the same score with Carson Wentz that they had against the Seahawks without Carson Wentz. Rebuttal on your point. The Eagles don't make the playoffs without Carson Wentz. Any other quarterback in there. They won the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. So we even go back to that. I'm not saying, like, obviously if you're a middling team, a good quarterback can make you, or a great quarterback can make you a great team. That's the power the quarterback has. But if you're Tennessee or if you're a team that had, like, um, New Orleans that has their entire team already built, you have superstars all up and down. The quarterback position might not be someone who you want to give $30 million to cough Rams. Pat Mahomes. Counterpoint. <laughs> Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. <laughs> counterpoint. Russell Wilson. But there are some oh, yeah, counterpoints. Russell Wilson is the biggest one. They'd be 4-12 without him. There, there are some points. There are some There are some cases to your point, though. The 0-1 Ravens, the 0-2 Buccaneers. I, mean, I did qualify of, that it was a bad hot Brian take. Brian Johnson However, has was legs. good in 0-2. He yeah, was better in 0-2 than Brady was in 0-3. Yeah. Just look at the numbers, guys. I'm not lying. Matt, Matt, give me the chance buzzer. Before I cut you off, give me the chance buzzer. Um, shout out to Trey Young. He uh, just we just found out that he canceled a million dollars in medical debt in Atlanta. Just incredible thing to do. No, the fact that people go broke and die because they get sick is despicable. It's morally and it's just morally bankrupt that we allow that to happen in this country. And hopefully we live in a society where we don't need rich people to pay off and we have a society where people don't go into debt anyway. It's crazy. I mean, uh, an, an NBA All-Star has to be responsible for... That was my point. <laughs> my, yes, your point, but my my piggyback onto your point is it shouldn't take an athlete donating a million dollars, not even to fix it, even close to fixing anything. It just helped a little bit. It shouldn't have to take a million dollar donation from one athlete to start a cycle like this, like it, it, that, that shouldn't even have to be what Trey Young has to do to help that situation. It, it shouldn't be there. But yes, Matt, 
Shout out to Trey Young. Um, the only thing I have to say at the buzzer, I, I hope everyone can see the jersey that I'm wearing right now. Let me, let me well, if they're up. only listening, they can't. They said, they, Why don't you let them know? I'm not going to let them know. So so I'm going to post this on social media because look look at who I'm wearing right now. Um, his, his name is Chris Paul. He's on the Oklahoma City Thunder. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is still, in my opinion, one of the best point guards in the league. And a lot of people were really down on Chris Paul. A lot of people were really downing him, saying he's done, he can't do it, his career is going to die in OKC. I hope a lot of people are woken up. And if you haven't yet, you should really watch the rest of the season and what Chris Paul hopefully will continue to do. He's gone to a Thunder team, a team in a rebuild state, a team that no one thought was going to make the playoffs. He's got him in the sixth seed in the West right now. He's rubbing off on point guards like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Dennis Schroeder. He's, you know, such a floor general, such a leader, and I think people really have forgotten the value of what Chris Paul can bring to the Thunder or to any other team in the NBA. So if y'all are still asleep on my man CP3, please wake up because the point guard is doing great things. I feel like someone I know got laughed at for saying they were going to make the playoffs by a by a Chris Paul fan. First of all, I didn't oh, laugh at you. Oh, it was I me. I didn't that's laugh right. at you. I didn't agree with you. On the show, you. that's right. I yeah. didn't agree with you. I, I, I definitely did not think the Thunder were going to make the playoffs. Did I think they were going to be like the last seed in the NBA? No. But did I think they were going to be in the sixth seed in a position to really make some noise in the Western Conference? No. That's it's Chris Paul them. making them play tough as hell, man. Yeah, they are man. a tough out. They're the only team on pace to win in the 40s. The Everyone 40s. else is either in the 50s or below. It's consistent. That's that's consistent. you got to forget. He made a career out of DeAndre Jordan. you got to forget. He made a career. I mean, he, he, Don't say Blake Griffin. He, I mean, he didn't make Blake Griffin's <laughs> career, <laughs> but he coming. catapulted it for sure. Yeah, he catapulted helped him out. it for sure. He got a team where his second-best player was David West to be like the second seed in the West. Yeah, come on. Come on, man. All right. But that's all the time we have for this episode. It was a great one. Again, we miss Jewel Schmitz. We hope she is getting rest and plenty of fluids. Hope to see her next week. But big ups to Greg Barron and Kyle Sobieski. And I guess I always do this, but not Stat Matt Robinson behind the camera because he's right there. But before my man's Stat Matt and my man's Jake Galley, I am James Jackson, and these have been the facts. Straight up. Straight up.